leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. This is the Leadership Edition, Breaking into Cybersecurity 2.0. I am Renee Small, Cybersecurity Super Recruiter, and I am here to help amazing leaders hire great talent. My co-host, Chris Folon, is here. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hi, everyone. That was short and sweet. And we have <laughs> our amazing guest for today is Saeed Elnaj. Say hi to everybody, Saeed. Hello, everyone. Awesome. So Saeed is here, and he is the CIO of the National Council on Aging. And we are so excited to have Saeed here today for a number of reasons. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank Saeed for all the work that he's doing because with the National Council on Aging, you know, knowing in this environment of COVID-19, so many of our seniors are impacted. So we're going to get into that with Saeed. Saeed is going to talk to us about what he looks for in cybersecurity leaders. He's going to talk about security as a whole, how it fits in, and um, just some of the things that he's seen with, you know, having this a group of leaders on his team. Um, and we're going to jump right in. So there's people joining already saying good morning. So good morning to Eric. Uh, good morning all here. So we are going to have Saeed jump right in and get started. And Saeed, I want to first learn about you. How did you get into where you are? You know, you're a CIO. How did you get all the way up the chain? Well, it's a long journey. Uh, it started by being a programmer uh, many moons away, worked for Oracle, and then went uh, up the ladder until I became a manager and then uh, managed larger teams, uh, moved on to manage uh, IT organizations until I became the CIO at the National Council on Aging. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about National Council on Aging in the context of digital products and cybersecurity. So the National Council on Aging focuses on two points of helping older adults. One is living a healthy life and second, living a wealthy life or saving enough money, having enough money to uh, live a, the golden years in a, in a decent and uh, a respectful way. So that's our goal to that end. We have many digital products. Uh, one of them is called uh, My Medicare Matters. Uh, the other is uh, Benefits Checkup and many other products all available online. And of course, as products that are open to the, uh, to the public, we get frequently attacked from different vectors from different places. And cybersecurity has been uh, one of the important practices within our organization. I'm happy to talk more, but I wanna make it more conversational. Absolutely. Um... <laughs> When it when it comes to what you see on a day to day basis, how do you feel that um, 
people coming into the industry can better prepare themselves to be effective um, within an organization like yourself? When you say effective in terms of uh, cybersecurity? Cybersecurity. Yes. yes. Okay. So, um, uh, so I think your question is related more to what skills a cybersecurity professional should have to be able to really succeed in this position and help us be at the posture we want to be in terms of cybersecurity. And uh, my answer to it is the skills are, it's not one skill, it's multiple skills from the technical skills, knowing the exact domain or the exact system that we are trying to protect to being able to to communicate what the risks are. Communication to me is a very important aspect of uh, of um, uh, uh, of this profession. You can't be the guy, the geek in the corner doing what you're doing on your own. You always have to work with others, with team members. And not only that, you have to communicate with management and explain what's going on. And that needs to be explained in terms that management can understand. So communication is a very, very important skill from my perspective. Um, There are many other skills from my perspective. It's also understanding cybersecurity at at the high level, understanding what are the standards out there? How do they apply to what I do? Like the NEST uh, uh, standards, the ISO standards and so on. I can go on, but again, I wanted to make it more conversational and be specific in answering your questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple comments here. Eric says the sensitive PII enticement is real. So to your point, Saeed, when you talked about the different digital products that you have, um, I don't even think, I don't know if people even, uh, I, I was fascinated when chatting with you prior to getting here, just thinking about you know senior citizens and the digital products. And we don't think really through, some of us, Anyway, um, you know what all that entails. So you know the Medicare, all of those components are very, very interesting, and I can see how that could be such a, a, a you know, an attack space for uh, cyber criminals. Yeah. So, so let, let me share with you. Uh, most of our products actually ask for PII and PHI data. I presume that those terms are well uh, known, so I don't have to explain them. And with that, our customers trust us with this data. So it becomes very important. An example is uh, My Medicare Matters. This is a product that we have online. The unfortunate thing is 80% of older adults are on the wrong Medicare plan. The people who are 65 and older, uh, they are on the wrong plan. They either are paying more or they're not getting the right health benefits that they uh, should apply for. And there are thousands of uh, Medicare products out there. So what we did is we offered this product that helps people. uh, We asked them some seven to nine questions. They answer those questions. We take those all PII and PHI data, your age, your income, where do you live, uh, what are the medical uh, conditions that you have, and then we take that, push it down to an AI engine. The AI engine looks at those uh, this data and sends back a recommendation in terms of what Medicare plan should that person look at. So with that, we're collecting a lot of uh, PII and PHI data, and we obviously need to protect it. So we have a number of, of, uh, of areas of protecting this, obviously protecting data trust in the databases, making sure that we have the, the right DLP products, making sure that the right... Uh, 
uh, protection is there against DDoS and so on. So we're looking at, we look at the customer journey end to end through our system and we look at the areas that we, there could be a threat or risk in the system. And then we, we add the protection layers and we add the different professionals who step in and help us with uh, addressing that security and addressing risks. Uh, speaking of um, supporting your clients throughout the, the journey, do you offer cybersecurity awareness programs to help educate your clients, minimize phishing, social engineering, things like that? As we know, seniors are very susceptible um, to these types of attacks. You know, very good question. Very good question. Yes, we do. We have actually content related to that, and we have partners. We call them CBOs, community-based organizations, through which we actually provide education to older adults in terms of how to protect themselves. Uh, cyber criminals go after older adults, unfortunately, in many different ways through the phone, and obviously, more more recently. Older adults are online, they're on YouTube, they're on the web, they're searching, and, and uh, they're on email. So 73% of older adults have a smartphone, and many of them have an email account, many of them have actually a Facebook account. And this is where we engage with our customers on Facebook, on YouTube, and through email. So um, so we do provide the, the, those type of, type of training through our uh, community partners. We're also part of a network of uh, senior centers, and that's where we also provide support in those areas. Excellent. I've been talking to so many, uh, some seniors recently, um, specifically around right now with, um, well, one, COVID-19, two, just the, you know, the, the holiday season and the uptick in general. And so uh, what I'm, I'm learning is that they are getting very, they're getting much more aware, which is great. It's good mm -hmm. to know and hear and see, hear from, you know, 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds that are, that are focused on this. And, you know, mm -hmm. most of the time it's about making sure that their money that, you know, <laughs> stays in their accounts. So, it's, it's great to hear that that's what you all do and that you're on social media in Facebook and things like that, because I know they're hanging out there heavily uh, right now. So question coming in from Eric. So he wants to know, Saeed, when prepping, when preparing for engaging the rest of the C-suite, what should a CIO emphasize as key attributes or communication of communication from the CISO for communication of persistent risk management? Or do you see the CIO as requiring the sole communication conduit for assessment of risk? Okay, this, this is a, a, an excellent question. I think uh, it, it assumes that the CISO reports to the CIO, and this is for the most part the situation. Uh, so um, the, let, let me try and answer it in a number of ways. I think the most important thing, the C-suite does not understand technology and doesn't need to. The C-suite is about really running the business. And I keep saying one of my statements related to uh, cybersecurity is really cybersecurity is about enabling the business. It is about enabling the business to conduct its business securely, accurately, timely, and efficiently. These are like a fundamentals of cybersecurity. And so when I need to, or the CISO, CISO communicates to me, and when I need to communicate to the um, to the executive team, I need to communicate in executive in in terms of uh, uh, in terms of business terms. So what that means is first looking at risks, assessing them, and associating monetary value to those risks, 
And then explaining why we need to mitigate those risks, we need the different cybersecurity tools, investments, etc., at a very high level. And again, it is about making sure that the business and the uh, executives understand that this is not only risk mitigation, but it's really enabling us to be in business and be secure and allowing the different users to access the right data and preventing those who are trying to um, to access the data without authorization. So um, I'm answering the in a long way, but really what's important is being able to communicate in business terms and risk terms. Those are the terms that are understood. Looking at um, risk in terms of monetary value, associating a monetary value to it. And uh, I, I don't know to what extent we can go about it, but creating a heat map that shows the risks in red and then taking those the risks that are in red and how can we mitigate them to lower them and what kind of investments do we need to be able to actually mitigate those risks. Speaking of risks and speaking in the language of the business, um, what are some of the things that you think can be done to help balance the approach between security and business enablement, um, both from a CIO perspective as well as from a risk perspective? Uh, the, the, another very good question, and I like it because I think cybersecurity, it's, it's, a, it, it's looking at it, a coin that has two sides. One side is protecting the systems, protecting the data. And the other side is allowing those who are authorized to get access to the data, to get access to the system, and efficiently, timely, securely, and so on. So it is, and this is really where, where cybersecurity professionals, the successful ones, figure out the balance between the two. Yeah, I think I've mentioned that it is impossible to provide an 100% cybersecurity posture. But what we can do is put 100% effort towards that goal. And what it means is really balancing resources, balancing a, the context of the business, understanding the business itself, and then investing in the places that protects it. And most importantly, allowing those who need to have access to the system to have access, again, securely, timely, and so on. So, Saeed, um, Eric chimes in here. He says, great answer. So... Thank you, um, I wanted you to jump into some of the things that we chatted about before in regards mm -hmm. to communication, in regards to, um, you know, what some folks should be looking for when or as they are looking to get into the cybersecurity field. I know you had some topics to talk about there. And then we talked a lot about the communication aspect, but really the skills that you look for when you promote um, people into the field from from you know more junior cybersecurity professionals up the ranks to your leadership. Yeah, so um, the, uh, on the skills front, I think what's important is for people to really understand the cybersecurity philosophy at the high level. It's basically understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Going to uh, uh, Simon Sinek's uh, book, Why. Really think about why we're doing what we're doing, and not to be mechanical about security in a sense is understanding what the business goals are, what are we trying to protect 
And thinking about security, that this, this, uh, as I said, it's the the coin that has two sides. You want to protect the systems from those who are unauthorized to have access to it, and you want to allow those who are authorized. And finding that balance is a very important thing. And thinking in those terms is is very important. The other thing is in terms of um, understanding uh, security models and security architectures. In in a sense, thinking about security. Uh, the 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 older models for security was to you know it's like this castle that everything inside it needs to be protected and you put all the protections and the firewalls around this castle and to to prevent anybody almost anybody from getting in, but really the new model is to think about it from an airport uh, model perspective where you have the general public that can walk to certain areas within the airport, passengers can go through security screening and can go into their passenger areas and then the other personnel, whether it's the pilots and the service personnel and so on, have access to the different areas. So we need to think in terms of security architecture in those terms. So that's another important skill I look at. Again, understanding the business model. What business are we in? Where's the data? What kind of data are we protecting? We don't need to protect everything and anything, but we need to protect the PI, PHI data, we need to protect it against DDoS attacks and so on. It's another important skill from my perspective is dedication and persistence. And for those who are getting into this field, know that you will be called upon in the middle of the night, in the early hours of the morning to jump in and log in and try to prevent attack or you're in the middle of attack and you're trying to to uh, to address it and, and to stop it, and so there is that there is that dedication, being able to step in immediately, step up and and help solve the problem, and knowing that this is one of the demands for this field. Obviously, there is the technical knowledge in the area that the security cybersecurity professional is. Cybersecurity as a profession is incredibly wide range, becoming very complex, and you can't know everything. So you need to be a, a, a specialist in one area, and it's important to have that specialty. Uh, so that's a, a, another, I think, important one is understanding uh, cybersecurity standards, like the ISO standards, the NIST standards, why are they there, and how they can help us uh, build cybersecurity. Uh, one, one more thing I would add, which is very interesting to me, that I, I had one of my team members work on refreshing our uh, uh, our security policies and an effort that took some time and it, it, it's 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 excellent to have your security policies but it's also as important if not more important to have the procedures to implement those policies so and understanding the difference between a policy and a procedure and a process is very important. So people think that I created a policy, I'm secure. You're not. A policy, a policy is just a statement saying we want to have, a, you know, our users, uh, you know, behave in a secure manner. Yada yada. We want our customers to have access to this and that and the other. Secure. These are statements, aspirations. Then the processes and procedures step in and complement them. They are part of that whole cybersecurity. Uh, a governance and, uh, and structure, 
where you say, this is how I'm going to protect my data. I'm going to implement XYZ system. I'm going to implement this review process and so on. So this is another thing that I really uh, is important for cybersecurity professionals to understand, to understand the full stack of the things that they need, the difference between a policy process procedure and how to implement them. Wow. Um, you, you touched on a lot of the points that I was going to ask about, like in regards to planning succession and growing talent within your organization, what are some of the, some of the approaches? And you highlighted several of them, but if there's any other approaches um, that you prepare them to have that holistic view of the organization from the, the, the people, the process, the technology, and the business, um, what other things do you want to see in those that are that you're looking to grow within your organization? So the two things. One is, um, I, I think it was a, a question earlier, uh, Renee, when you and I talked about it, is is uh, certifications. Uh, I think it's very important to have a certificate. I think some people with experience might, might look down at certificates, but I think they are important. They're an indication. To me, they're an indication, one, that you really worked hard, you did your part, you studied, you invested in yourself, and that's very important. It tells me you can persevere. And the second thing, it tells me that you have the knowledge, not just the experience. And even if you have the experience, I think certificates help people solidify experience with knowledge. So it, it is it is valuable, and I encourage my team uh, to go into certifications. And in fact, I one of my team members just finished a really complicated uh, certification and then um, I'm, I was very happy to see that. So that's that's um, one very important uh, thing that uh, I'd like to see in, in uh, cybersecurity professionals. The second one is also being able uh, to communicate the work that we do. The creating what we call KPIs, key performance indicators. So it shows us that there is this mechanism of continuous review in terms of what we're doing. And we have some numbers and we have some ways of being able uh, to evaluate, um, to evaluate uh, our work. It is also a way of communicating the, to the executive team in terms of what, you know, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and where do we stand in terms of our security posture. So I have a number of um, a KPIs, key performance indicators that I look at, and uh, they involve simple, simple ones such as just measuring the the uh, the threat levels. How many threats did we have? And we have the tools that can tell us that over a period of time, and whether the threats are up and down, and why is that happening? Trying to understand it. I always like to ask the question of why. Why is this happening? What's the story? Tell me a story behind what's happening as well. Are we getting a an attack from outside the U.S. by certain countries and so on? Why is it happening on which systems, etc.? So having a threat level by numbers as, as a, a performance measure is important. Looking at the number of incidents and the size of those incidents and the impacts of those incidents and how did we deal with them? So number of incidents, their severity, et cetera, that's another indicator that's very important. Then internally, I want to look at our employees and say, how are they prepared against uh, cybersecurity attacks? So we're using a product called Know Before, 
that basically sends uh, uh, campaigns uh, to our uh, to our employees through emails and tries phishing campaigns, trying to see if our employees are aware. We train them on an annual basis, and we run campaigns on regular basis, and we see which employees are failing, and then making sure that they we train them again, they improve their skills, and I aspire on a quarterly basis to have zero click-throughs, meaning zero employees click on a phishing campaign uh, email. So that's another one. We also have scans for our systems, especially those who are uh, web-facing, externally facing. We have a, a product, we use a security scorecard, and that gives me an indication to where we are, and I always aspire to be in the 90, around the 95% uh, security posture. It's very simple. It tells me where we stand, whether we have any holes, whether we have any issues in our, uh, in our digital products. Okay, great. We have some really good questions coming in here. Okay. Said, um, Eric has a ton of questions. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> he's, uh, he's really enjoying this. So let me chime in. Before I actually bring his questions up, I just wanted to share that your the way you describe the airport model is um, something that, you know, I've never heard it described like that before, but it's a perfect analogy for the way people should look at security now. Um, and so that's definitely one I think I'm gonna steal every every once in a while, I take something that somebody has. <laughs> so I'm telling you on camera. No problem. <laughs> the model is awesome. Um, and just, yeah, to, you know, to, to reiterate some of the things, I just wanna double down on the, the points that you made, the heat maps, the, the KPIs, you know, really understanding the business, um, being able to communicate that. So a lot of our folks are more technical and that's why, Saeed, I'm so happy you're here because as we were talking about this beforehand, you know, I wanted to really share one, I'm, I'm happy that you are here to share that this is what the board members look for, this is what your business partners are looking for. And so, you know, for the folks that are underneath that might not fully understand all of this, really being able to explain that security is a risk. And when you talk about that heat map, you know, describing that risk um, and how to mitigate that risk. So couple questions here, Eric. Um, First one from Eric, one of the toughest aspects in deference to heat mapping of risk to the mission for the business is quantifying damage in order in dollar terms versus mitigation as a technical dollar amount. Where do you find the clarifying point when making investment decisions? Okay, uh, so I, I, it, let me try and understand the question, make sure that I paraphrase it and, and make sure that I'm understanding to, to, to answer it correctly. So I think the question is around how do we quantify the risk in dollar terms that are really accurate, right? Is this, is, is this a good way of, of, of understanding it? I believe and, so. Yeah, and, and, and being able to, to do that in a way that is also the business partners can understand it. And um, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a very specific example that happened just last week. So we have, I mentioned our, uh, our product, uh, My Medicare Matters. It's a product that uh, is on AWS. And if you remember, it was, I think, Wednesday before Thanksgiving when AWS Eastern Region went down. And that was one of our risks. And the way we mitigated it is what is, like every hour, how many users do we have? What's the monetary value of those users? 
looking at that, calculating the monetary value and looking at what does it mean for us to, to take that product and actually move it into having high availability in other regions within AWS and the cost of that. So we looked at that too and was very, we were able to quantify precisely the cost of the seven or so hours that AWS was down and our system was down. And with that, I have a risk. It is already in our a heat map and it shows where we are and it is somewhere in the uh, yellow area because we look at it in terms of monitor value. It's not as high, it's not as severe for our uh, business model. It's not as severe for our existence as an organization. I think at the end of the day, we need to take a look at it and look at the system if they are impacted by cybersecurity attack. Looking at what does it mean in terms of business term? If this system is down, a, a good example, uh, a, a, I worked in telecom and in telecom, there is something, a system that's called uh, uh, charging and billing solution. So it's real-time charging and billing solution. This is when you pick up your phone, you dial a number, the system in the back, all the software system in the back end, know who you are, which party you're calling, what package do you have, and immediately calculates whether you can continue with that call, you can proceed, and so on and so forth. We don't really think about it much, but those systems are absolutely instrumental to the existence of a mobile operator. And I don't know if you remember, you might be young for that, but some, I think maybe 15 years ago, AT&T had an issue and it, their system went down and the loss was, was enormous. So in these kind of business situation, when a core system goes down and has direct impact on business revenue, you can calculate that and you have to have the right set of cybersecurity measures. So it, it always look at system by system, the risks to those systems, assume that this risk will happen and look at it. If the system is down for one hour, two hours, three hours, and so on, what is the monetary value for that system being down? And then look at it and see whether that's a monetary value that the organization can live with and accepting that risk or the organization that's risk is way too high in terms of monetary value. It could be also in terms of uh, reputation and impact on brand. That's another thing that's very important for organizations that can also be to some degree, it cannot be accurate. Like when you talk about brand and being attacked by uh, cybersecurity and your data is stolen, uh, we saw that in certain cases, but when you look at it with Target and with Sony and with others, there was a dip and a minor uh, impact and then went back to almost uh, regular operations. But there is, there is monetary value to, um, uh, to, to, to those incidents and you can calculate them in some cases, other cases you can make some assumption and get to an accurate, it's not going to be exact, but is sufficiently for the, uh, cyber, for the risk uh, exercise. And when, when it comes to incidents like that, and I'm going to say a recent one yeah. that's hot in the news is a FireEye incident. Um, how do you break through the PR 
of hype and what's happening and present to the board exactly what the risk is to the organization when something is uh, so emergent and so um, late breaking that everyone's going to be reaching out to you in the middle of the night yeah, to figure out your risk question. And I think the way I look at it is I, I'd like to be, and we as cyber security professionals have to be ahead of the game, meaning I should be communicating to my executive team, to my team members, to the board in terms of what are the risks and and telling them what are, where the risks are and what we're doing to do to what, what we are doing to mitigate those risks. So this is very important. I think the communication, the continuous communication with the executive team and with the board and to show where we stand and the risks that we have is essential. So that's step number one. Then when the incident happened, People are not surprised. You've already communicated that something like this can happen. I already communicated that I cannot provide 100% security posture, but I will do, you know, I'll put 100% effort. My team and I will put 100% effort to make sure we have the best security posture we can within the budgets and within circumstances that we have. So, so we prep people. People know that this can happen. And then when it happened, I'm sharing with them, telling them, okay, this is what we're doing. We have SLAs in terms of SLAs. Uh, I presume everybody's familiar with the abbreviations. So we have SLAs with the business. We have SLAs with our partners in terms of when do we jump into the incident? What do we do? And what are the incident management uh, 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 the incident management procedures? We have a process. We have a, a whole process in place. We track it. We have we mobilize people to step in and to try and uh, solve the problem. So we look at we 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 follow a systematic way of addressing these um, uh, these incidents. And we have we had many and we still have. We are like everybody else. We're constantly attacked by state actors, by just general hackers, uh, whether trying to test our um, security posture and. I have my team that wakes up when they need to wake up to step in to uh, to try and do what they need to do. We also, more importantly, we have monitoring tools. We don't have to be up all night, 24-7. We have partners who are actually doing that on our behalf with all the tools that are monitoring them and looking at where the threats are coming from and to what extent those threats might actually a, a, you know, materialize into an incident. And then this is when we step in, the team's woken up if they need to. Luckily, so far, it's happened mostly in the afternoons and uh, late evening hours. Um, uh, there was one incident that he dragged on until probably late at night. That guys have business hours too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it always seems to be like Friday evenings. I remember being in the in the in the sock and something always yeah. went down like a friday night um a couple of good so we're getting some good comments here eric says he remembers the at&t one so he certainly remembers that um he also said that he was going you know he knows where you were he was going with that when you were explaining site earlier and then uh lincoln said great explanation so eric had a couple other questions here one was around um I'll put this one up first and then we'll go back to certifications. He said, the impact of disclosure is also a planning element of the incident response plan. To whom, when, and what is always something you uh, go for, which one should provide a communications plan. So 
back to your point, Saeed, of communicating up, you know, having that incident response plan, knowing something's going to happen. You know, it's like I tell people all the time, insurance, you're going to get in an accident. You drive a car. Right. So you just know it's going to happen. Everyone understands what the next step should be. So I'm just so happy to hear you explain it from a communication standpoint, you know, like just continuous communication, being proactive, sharing what um, you anticipate to your board, to your leadership and the plan to, to get it back on track afterwards. Yeah, so let me uh, just, I think the, the the question is about the communication plan. From my perspective, communication plan is part of incident management. Mm-hmm. You have to have, we have to have a fully fledged incident management process, codified, people understand it, know it, and part of it is a communication plan. When do the security professionals, my team, when does my team communicate to me and let me know that there's an incident? When do I communicate to my executive that there is an incident? You know, there are incidents all the time. Some are, you know, minor. They get resolved quickly. Our tools actually address them. We know about them either after fact or immediately. We see them, we resolve them, we move on. But then there could be incidents when we were attacked by state actors. And those were serious. And they went on for many hours. So our SLA, you know, it's a serious incident. I, 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 SLA says, you know, within certain time frame, I need to inform my executive team. That's exactly what I did. Texted the CEO, texted the uh, executive team, then sent an email and said, we're on top of it. We'll keep you posted until the issue is resolved. There's also the point at which you might want to also uh, engage and communicate to the FBI, to uh, to the public, to issue a press release, and so on and so forth. It all depends on the very specific circumstances and the definitions that need to be in that uh, 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 security, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, attack uh, management process. So we need to have it. It needs to be part and parcel of that uh, incident management process. And they should be tried, true, and practiced that, um, over and over. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. That that's absolutely right. And if you don't, you know, you get you get stuck. You have an incident. You you don't have your process tested, and then you end up in really much bigger trouble than if you had done your homework earlier. Again, communicating and testing your your uh, incident management process is absolutely an excellent way of of, of being ahead of the game. Absolutely. So Eric's other question, when developing a team, how do you justify the cost of certifications, which may be a barrier to entry for talented from talented candidates? Okay, so, um, you know, the, the good news is that classes like cybersecurity classes and training is, is, is going down, becoming more and more reasonable. And so is the cost for those uh, certificates. To me, when I look at them, uh, I can't remember the exact cost. They're in the few thousands of dollars. To me, this is an excellent investment, whether personally, as a person I want to invest, it's an excellent way as a, as a cyber professional. If you don't have your employee paying for it, you invest in yourself or have conversations with your employee and ask them to at least invest part of it. So the cost is going down. It is, to me, if there's an incident that is going to be in the tens of thousands or maybe more uh, in terms of dollars, 
it's 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 worth it to have my team up to date have the best knowledge have the certificate that shows that they have the knowledge and they bring in that expertise into the organization as i said my one of my team members has just finished his uh, certificate and he's bringing all these new areas that we should be paying attention to that we didn't sufficiently pay attention to and he's proposing very specific actions that we should take a good example we were doing our uh, pen testing on just you know um, maybe twice maybe three times a year now we're doing it on a monthly basis and to the extent we can and running the tools and so on and we're measuring how it changes month over month and so on so the cybersecurity certificates are important and values, and I recommend it to leaders, uh, to organizations, and to individuals to invest in them. What are your views on like self-directed learning and home labs, and for for those that might not be able to afford a couple thousand dollars for a certificate, but they're going out and they're using that open source knowledge for self-education. Um, but they just don't have the paper to show that they did that. Yeah, uh, very good question. I think, the, again, we are in a world that is really fantastic with a lot of uh, resources that are for free. Like LinkedIn has a bunch of free of courses for free. Uh, you've got uh, community colleges that provide, uh, uh, you know, courses in cybersecurity that are, you know, very at low cost. So the, the, there are... There are many websites out there where you can go and learn and read. I think what I'd recommend a number of things is, is looking at free resources on LinkedIn. There are a bunch of courses that are for free. Go try them out. Another, another place probably to start is studying, maybe not having the certificate, but studying for the certified ethical hacker. I think this is a good, a very good entry point to, you can look at what the curriculum is. You can look at what the material is. Maybe you could uh, invest a little bit of money into the material and study on your own, maybe not taking a course. I think the important thing is to have a plan, to think about it. Okay, I want to get this certificate. How do I go about it with limited resources? Let me get the information about it. Let me look at courses that are for free. Let me do all the things that I can do and be prepared uh, to, to get to get that thing. I think the important thing is to be persistent, to have a plan, and to think about how do I get to my objective of getting that certificate at one point. And Eric follows up with the tra trajectory of certification is closely wed to recertification, which also has a cost. How does the organization best position to assist and keep certification knowledge fresh? Yeah, so... I think this question also relates to the fact that cybersecurity is an incredibly dynamic field. Mm -hmm. It changes so dynamically, and you can't have a certificate, you know, last year, and that the knowledge that you had last year is going to be applicable today. And so, we as an organization invest and pay for recertifications for our employees. It's it's very important, not just in cybersecurity, in other areas, like the. Uh, PMI certificates. It's very important for us to make sure that the team is up to date, uh, taking whatever new refreshers in terms of courses that they need to take. Of course, there's cost to it. Um, I think for those who are with limited resources, what I would recommend 
is is subscribing to certain newsletters, subscribing to have a curated content. I have a, a curated content on Flipboard. There's a, this is an app. Uh, uh, you can have it on your iPhone, your tablet, or even uh, on your uh, laptop. So, and I say, here are my interests in cybersecurity, in AI, and other areas. And I get curated content on a daily basis, and I look at the titles and the you know, headlines, and then I say, okay, there's this the, the, the this event that just happened yesterday with um, with FireEye. Then I look at it and say, okay, what's exactly happened there? And I educate myself and I try to get some, you know, how is that incident, you know, not just reading about the incident, not just reading about the information, but how is this information applicable to me as an organization, to me as an individual in trying to do my job? So there are, Certification is one area, but keeping on top of things, signing up for newsletters, and also um, uh, having curated content related to this field. So, Saeed, um, Eric says, he follows up by saying here, that's so good to hear and is the right answer. There are many organizations that do not. They only pay for new certifications. So, you know, we think that's short-sighted. We hear about budget challenges all the time. Um, but you know, some of the points that you made, uh, you know, and I think back, I always sometimes go back to the medical industry, but like, you know, doctors, nurses, all these people are getting certifications and recertifications every year. You know, the things that they learned five years ago are not relevant today. So really continuing to do that and having organizations and leadership like you that, you know, say, this is what we're investing in. We're investing in our people and, and, and we have to continue to do so, um, is so important as well as the point that you made about the FireEye situation, you know, looking at it as a case study, you know, like not only this is what happened, but how how does it impact us? How does it affect us? How could this, you know, like all the trickle down effects and what can we do to, um, you know, not necessarily prevent it because we know these things are like unpreventable when they want to get to you, they will. Um, But what can we do in the future? What can we do to mitigate? Um, So, We are almost at 45 minutes, which I anticipated uh, because I knew we would have great questions from people like Eric Williams and the folks that come on uh, here very, very often. So Chris usually wraps up when he's here with the final question for you, Saeed. So Chris, take it away. So if you had to summarize um, everything we've talked about today into one piece of sage advice for someone breaking into the industry, um, what would that be? Or going into leaders in the industry, too. Or going into leaders, yeah. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I think, uh, I, and it's a difficult question. It's, it's very hard to summarize it in one single word and so on. I think looking at security as a coin with two sides is a very important uh, message that I keep to hammering. A second message is you can't be 100%, uh, you can't have 100% cybersecurity posture, but you have to put in 100% effort in getting there, which implies many different things, keeping on top of uh, the what's happening, the incidents that are out there, keeping on top of your uh, skills, updating, you know, having the certificates, having the knowledge curated, uh, a, uh, you know, content that you get. So you are always informed. I think this is, this is, I'll, I'll summarize it by, by summarize it by that can be a hundred percent cybersecurity posture, but you should always aspire for a hundred percent effort. Thank you. Thank you for such a great session today. 
All but right. yeah, this, is, this has been fantastic. I knew it would be. Um, the comments are still coming in, so we'll forward them to you afterwards because we know, you know, we want to we want to definitely wrap. Um, Saeed, thank you so much for this session. It's really, really awesome. I am going to invite you back right now. Yeah. <laughs> Come back on in the future to chat with us again um, because. As, as shared, so many of our folks are in the industry now and growing up now. So they got in a couple years ago, now going into leadership, getting to that director of security or CISO space, and definitely want to hear more um, from you and your peers around what, what you all look for. So this is very, very informative today. So thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. So folks, um, as you all know, CISO Thursdays is tomorrow. We will be back with Chris and Alex, um, um, Alex and um, Naomi tomorrow. And we have a special guest too. So we will see you tomorrow on another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. James Azar. What am I talking about, Alex? <laughs> <laughs>